Uh, my name is Ryan. Um, I'm one of the team members here at Crossroads, and I'm grateful to be with you here this morning. I don't say that just because that's what you're supposed to say. Like, I really am grateful that we get to gather as a body on a Sunday morning like this. There's something sacred when we get to do this. And we open God's word and we give him our attention and our affection. I'm grateful that we get to do that together. If you were here last week, Phil spent some time unpacking a word and a, really a phrase that's going to be important for us both this month during this sermon series and throughout this year, and that word is abide. That word is abide. And he used John 15 to land and pre- present some foundational thoughts and concepts for what he was doing. John 15 is a section of scripture or it's a portion of scripture that's part of this longer upper room discourse, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples from John 13 through 18. And some of those foundational concepts that were mentioned last week have to do with this. I mean, abiding is not something that's passive. It doesn't happen to you. It's something that you actively participate in and engage with. It's also, abiding is not just this internal expression. It isn't just meant to stay between you and God, it is supposed to grow as the Spirit leads us to produce fruit. And there's a dependence that we get to enjoy, a dependence we get to enjoy with our Heavenly Father. Last week, we outlined a, a rough uh, definition for what abiding is. It's something that we're going to continue to refer to for the next few weeks and the next few months, and it's this. Abiding is, a, is when we nurture an enduring intimacy with God, when we foster a sincere love for others, and when we engage God's mission. And my task this morning is to take a look at that first part of that definition, nurturing and enduring intimacy with God. We're gonna go a little bit deeper with that this morning. And I'm gonna do so in three, what I'm gonna call movements. And the first is this, we're gonna look at the fact that our ability to abide with God is because he has chosen to abide with us. That'll be number one. The second movement is the fact that because God has chosen to abide with us, that we then have a choice to abide with him or not. And then we'll finish with a third movement is, what does it look like to stay connected to the vine? Using that metaphor that Jesus used in John 15, what does it look like practically, like here and now, today, what does it look like to stay connected to the vine? The text I'm gonna be using is building upon what we talked about last week in John 15. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it. Open God's word as we listen to John 15. I'm gonna read the whole section, verses five through eight. We'll read that together and then we'll start to go deeper. So Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 15 and he says in verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this morning, what I want to start with is this foundational idea, and it's this, that our ability to abide in God is made possible through God's desire and actions to abide with us. Or let me say it differently, God wants to abide with us just as much as we need to abide with him. God wants to abide with us just as much as we need to abide with him. And I know that because when I open up God's word, I see story after story after story after story of that very truth, that very truth. I mean, if you've been reading through the, read the Bible in a year reading plan, we're finished up Exodus, we're getting ready to start into Numbers. I mean, even if you take the first few books in the Old Testament, you see example after example of 
God wanting to be with his people. And it starts all the way back in Genesis chapter one and two. And in chapter three, before sin ever enters the picture, what do we see God doing? He's not just hanging out somewhere else. He's walking with his people in the cool of the day. He just, he wants to be with them. He wants to be with them. Now his people ultimately end up deciding to go a different direction. They create distance and they move away from him. God isn't satisfied with that. God has a choice to start over, do something different, but instead he moves in the direction of his people and he does so first through the choosing of Abraham and the people group that we would call the Israelites. He leads them to Egypt and leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and ends up at Mount Sinai and he reminds the people, hey, this is the kind of God that I am and this is the kind of people that you are and he wants to be with them. And so he gives Moses the, the outline for what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. God's physical manifest presence with his people. God, God wants to be close. And then the question is, well, how do, we, how do a sinful people hang out with a holy God? And so God gives additional instructions about the sacrificial system so that there was a way to atone for the sin so God could be with his people. And I think throughout all of those examples that I've just mentioned to you, you can have two different uh, descriptors or mental pictures of what that connection and closeness look like. The first is this. It's a father holding tenderly the hand of his child. That's picture number one. The second picture is what I would like to call a kid on the leash. Uh, I'm, I was looking for a picture to try to demonstrate this. You may have seen this before. Uh, two things I want to say. One, I've never used this on my kids. Two, if you have... You know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do as a parent, okay? I recognize that. I will say, when I was looking for a picture to, to model this, when you Google kid on a leash, one of the top results is the question, is it okay to put my kid on a leash, okay? I, it's the reality of parenthood, I suppose. But these are the two pictures, holding your child's hand lovingly or a kid on a leash. And that we can think about in both ways, I, or we're presented with this idea that's how God wants to interact with us. I want to use a, a specific story in the Old Testament that I think helps model what God really wants to be for us. And that is, as God is rescuing his people from Egypt, he's leading them through the Red Sea into Mount Sinai. God chooses to be with his people through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. You remember that? He's leading his people. I mean, we're talking about two million people with livestock. But God chooses to lead. He knows that he can't lead too fast. He's not getting out in front of his people. He stays right with his people. God knows where he's going. He's not confused about that. He's always visible. So even at nighttime, somebody couldn't say, hey, I don't know where God went. Look at the fire. He's right there. He's with us. God stays with his people. He chooses that. Even though the people constantly, over and over again, say, can we please go back to Egypt? Can we please go back to Egypt? The very place that God didn't want them to be. But God chooses to stay with his people. He chooses to lovingly lead. God could have moved a different direction, but God chose to abide. And the Old Testament is full of these kind of examples. It's ripe with those kind of examples. And it extends right into the New Testament. Right into the New Testament, because what do we see? Who shows up on the scene? Well, it's Jesus. And what does Jesus choose to do? Well, Jesus, that Emmanuel concept, God with us, well, he, read through the Gospels, what is he doing? He's walking from town to town with his people. He just wants to be with them. He walks with them. You could also say that Jesus tabernacled with us. He wanted his home to be with his people. I mean, John, 
chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word literally means tabernacle. Jesus saying, hey, my home is with, with my people. And then we see that Jesus chooses to walk up Calvary. And what does he do? He becomes that perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb to pay forever the penalty for our sins. What does he do? He, he becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the sacrifice. And the scripture says that when he does that, what happens in the temple? The dividing curtain torn in two. Now there's no longer anything that separates us from our heavenly father. I love all that. And I'll, I'll be honest, I really, really like the New Testament because the New Testament doesn't stop there. The New Testament it also shows us that God doesn't just want to be with us. God wants to be in us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus says, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to spend a couple more days with you. And then I'm, I got to go because being with you isn't close enough. I want to be in you, God in us. And God wants to abide. This is what it looks like for God to want to abide. And we see it expressed and demonstrated time after time after time all throughout Scripture. And it's, I don't think it's a picture of God holding our leash. I think it's a picture of God wanting to hold our hand. Let me give you another example that may bring it a little bit closer to home. I don't know if you have ever done this, but if you've ever taken kids, whether your kids or grandkids or friends' kids or anybody to an amusement park, Okay, you know that you've got a task before you, okay? And so when you get there, you've got everything you need, you walk inside the park, you begin to tell your kids something, they interrupt you, you have to go to the bathroom, okay, that's step number one. Then step number two, before you ever get any further is, you have to stay with me. I cannot lose you. Because number one fear for any parent or grandparent at the amusement park is that you're gonna lose your kids. You're gonna lose them. And you're gonna, they're gonna announce your name on the loudspeaker, or you're gonna end up on TV. Okay, and you don't want any part of that, so you say, you have to stay with me. We're gonna be moving around a lot of places. There's gonna be a lot of things going on. You have to stay with me. And so you tell your kids that you're gonna say, hey, I need you to hold my hand. That's the way that we're gonna get through this. Hold my hand. And you hope and pray, maybe, that your child chooses to hold your hand back. You hope that they hold your hand back, because you've all probably drug a kid halfway through the grocery store. They choose not to hold your hand back. But when your child chooses to hold your hand back, then it becomes a beautiful thing. I have a soon-to-be eight-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old, and, and two-and-a-half-year-old. I promise you this, there is nothing more slippery than the hand of a two-and-a-half-year-old girl that does not want to be held. Okay, it's true. It's true. But the thing is, when my child chooses to hold my hand back, when we're in that amusement park, we enjoy it for everything that it's worth. Because now we're not afraid of getting lost or being disconnected. We're reassured by the closeness that we get to go places and do things. And we get to enjoy it for everything that it was designed to do. Because there's freedom in the dependence. There's freedom when my child chooses to hold my hand. Because I can lead them places that they have no idea how to get there. I can pay for things that they don't know how to pay for. I know where the bathroom is for them. But they get to enjoy it because they're holding my hand. And I think it's true of us. Every single day, we have the invitation to hold our Father's hand and to enjoy the journey. But that brings us to our second movement, which is really a question, and it's this. Do we want to abide in Christ and our Heavenly Father or not? We have a choice to abide in Him or not. And I think there's a reason why Jesus says it the way He does in 
verse five. He says, if you remain in me and I in you. If you remain in me and I in you. Jesus is saying that he's already made his choice. He's made his choice. He wants to be with you, but then we have the ability to respond to choose him or not. And I think it's, it, it, there's more, it's more complex than simply saying, hey, I choose Jesus. It's more complex than being in a room like this and raising our hands and saying, I choose Jesus. I may be a dense person, okay? I may be that. But I feel like there's a lot more to it than that. It's more than just saying words. I feel like there's action behind it. I think you probably do too. So I think when we're saying that we choose Jesus, what we're really choosing, what we're saying is through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're choosing to be close. We're choosing to be close, which means that there's a distance between us and God and we're choosing to eliminate the distance. We're proximate. And anytime you get closer to someone and the distance is removed, there's intimacy that is fostered and is able to be created. So we choose to be close. We also choose to be consistent. I can't just be close one day a week. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be hour by hour, minute by minute, which requires some form of discipline, a rhythm to the way that we live our lives that allows us to enjoy his presence. We also have to choose to communicate where we give him our time and attention and affection. I mean, good communication, it, it requires all of those. I mean, I can, my, my, my wife can talk to me and I can say, hey, hon, I'm listening. That's not good enough. What, what does my wife say? She says, I'll wait. I'll wait. Because she knows that Good communication isn't simply words expressed. She wants my heart, my devotion, my attention, and my affection. That's why I love the way that John 15, verse 5, is paraphrased in the message. It says this. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship becomes intimate and organic. And the harvest is sure to be abundant. That's what it looks like when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit as it becomes intimate and organic when we choose Jesus. That's what it looks like when we choose Jesus. We also have a choice not to choose him. We can choose something else. And it's probably not me standing up on stage saying, hey, I, don't, I didn't choose Jesus today. It's probably not that. It's probably not me putting it in those words, but it's probably more like me saying in my heart of hearts, I choose Ryan. I choose Ryan. And when I choose Ryan, there are probably a lot of different descriptors or words that I can use for myself, my wife can use, my kids can use, because they know what it looks like. They know what it looks like when I choose Ryan, because Ryan is selfish, impatient, prideful. That's what it looks like. When I choose Ryan, and I could keep going on with the words, I'm sure they could too, but I think a, maybe a better picture for us this morning, what it looks like when I choose Ryan, it's when I try to put God on the leash. I try to put God on the leash. Sure, I want to be close. I want the connection, but I want the control. I want the control. And there's nothing intimate or organic about that which is why I think Jesus continues in verse six. He says, if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Because when we choose to disconnect, when we choose ourselves, we ultimately choose to die. Or to use the metaphor that Jesus uses in John 15, we choose to wither and to fall off. And when we choose to put or try to put God on the leash, 
The kingdom that we are building, which isn't his, it's ours, it's dead, it's lifeless. That's the opposite of flourishing. That's not how life was designed to work. I mean, hearken back to my example of being in the amusement park, okay? Being by yourself and on your own, disconnected from your parent is not the way it's designed to work. I have a memory as a kid, I got lost. It's easy for a kid to think like, I know where to go and I know how to do this. But I ended up feeling the, probably the most intense fear that I've ever felt. And then when I was finally found, I felt shame. That's not the way it's designed to work. God wants to walk with us hand in hand. And I, th- I think that's why the tenor of this scripture is as Jesus is talking to his disciples, the emphasis isn't there. Jesus immediately continues to verse seven and eight. And so I will too. Look with me. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It helps us answer the question in this third movement, like what does it look like to walk hand in hand with our Heavenly Father? Say differently, how do we stay connected to the vine? How do we stay connected to the vine? Well, verses seven and eight, I think, show us that God's words through Scripture, and this is when we talk with him, when his words are in us, then we begin to abide with him. And we see that manifested Elsewhere in John's gospel, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus is speaking and Jesus says this. He says, hey, when, when your words are living in me, I mean, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When we abide, when we allow God's words to abide in us, then we begin to hear the words of our shepherd and he begins to know us and we know him. That's what it means to nurture this enduring intimacy with our heavenly father. And we've intentionally defined it this way with those two words, enduring and intimacy. Because when you think about something that endures, you're thinking about something that's not just a one-time choice. It's not a one-time choice. That's a word that it speaks to our legacy of walking with our Heavenly Father. I can't choose to just on a Sunday morning have this kind of relationship. I need to do it here on a Sunday morning, but it's got to be much, much more than that. I have to take it with me when service is over. I have to go pick up my kids because there are so many kids back there. Okay, I have to choose to, in, to have this enduring close walk with my heavenly father because as I walk with him, then that means I can be the best sort of earthly father that I can to my kids. And it continues right after that because right, the biggest dilemma on a, on a Sunday for our family is what are we gonna do for lunch? What are we gonna do for lunch? Okay? Which means that I have to endure or have this, this close walk that's more than just a minute by minute. It's, it's, it's all of my entire life because I need to be kind of the, the kind of spouse that my wife needs, even as I lead through that decision all throughout the rest of the day. So it has to endure and it also has to be intimate. Intimate and organic, which is why we're, we stay close and consistent and we choose to communicate. And when we do that, when we begin to listen to God's voice and God's voice speaks to us, then we begin to see the fruit. We don't create the fruit, but we begin to, when we step back, we look, we see, we see the fruit. And fruit can look like this. It's when our desires start to look like the desires of Jesus. When the way that we pray starts to look and sound the way that Jesus did. When our rhythms, when our life is structured in a similar way to that of Jesus, we start to see the fruit. Or to say it differently, we become people that live and love like Jesus. That's why we say it. That's why it's on the walls. But 
in my own heart, and I'm sure maybe in your heart as well, you think about God wanting to abide with us and we get to choose. I'll be honest, it's like, hey, Ryan, you can say that all you want, but when I have chosen to abide with my Heavenly Father in the past, I'm trying to do all the different things that I'm supposed to do. You know what I get? I get frustrated. I feel the guilt and the shame, and I'm tired. And you know what? I resonate with that because that's part of my story too. There have been too many times in my life where I've decided to do it on my own terms, where I'm going to try to make up the difference, and I end up filled with guilt and shame, frustration, and I'm tired. And the thing is, every single time that that happens, the words of Scripture begin to speak to me, and I see time and time and time again in God's word, God's people, what do they do? They want to go back to Egypt. They choose their own way. They complain. They're frustrated. They're tired. They're calling out to God. And what does God do? God hasn't run and gone anywhere. God is right with them. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New with Peter. Denies Jesus. Then Jesus comes back and restores him. Which gets me thinking, when we choose to walk our own direction, where, where do we expect to find God's presence? Where does he go? I mean, think about it here. If I'm on stage and this is, I'm in God's presence here, figuratively, and I just choose to walk out into the atrium, do I expect to see God's presence still hanging out up here? No. All I have to do is turn around, and he's right there. Because we believe in a God, we follow a God, we worship a God who moves in our direction. He's the one that closes the gap. Even if I decided to drive home, I've fallen off the wagon that far and that hard. Do I expect to find God's presence somewhere in this building? No, no, no. I expect to be able to turn around and he's right there. Because here's the thing, abiding, obeying, it's not doing the right things. It's Christ living in you. Did you hear what I just said? Abiding and obeying is not doing the right things. It's Christ living in you. Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 2, the book of Galatians, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we begin to live that sort of life, when God is abiding in us, when that connection is made, then it's not just an internal expression. It becomes something that flows into everything we do. It's because we're different people. We have a new identity bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And so our life begins to bear holy infused spirit, holy spirit infused fruit, and God is glorified. We get to do what we were made to do. And that's what we want, isn't it? That's what we were made for. So how can we take those practical steps? This will take us into our third movement. This is how we'll finish up. How do we take the practical steps to abide right now? Or to say it differently, how do we nurture an enduring intimacy with our Heavenly Father? Well, that's been on the hearts and minds of staff here at Crossroads. We've been thinking about that and praying about that a lot. And we have tried to create some on-ramps for people, no matter where we are, to be able to take that next step with our Heavenly Father. I'm going to show them to you on the screen here in a moment, but there are a couple things I want you to make sure you understand. One, when we try to create these on-ramps, what we're not saying is do it all. What we are saying is take the next step. 
find the one thing and take the next step. The other thing we're saying, number two, is the outcome is not about doing something, it's about meeting someone. It's not about doing something, it's about meeting someone. So if you look on the screen, there are a few different on-ramps that we wanna make sure that you are aware of. One is what I mentioned earlier, this read the Bible in a year plan. There's something about being disciplined to read it all throughout the entire year to see how every page, every story, every person ultimately points to the story of Jesus. And if you've been going through that, I commend you, stick with it. If that's something that you have not done, it's still out there. You can start on day one. God's there ready to tell his story. Or you can jump in where we are. If you would say that, you know what, that's a lot to try to read, do all of that, I'm not a reader, whatever it is, well, here's another thing we can do, is you can take some of the curated resources that we put together for every sermon series, including this sermon series about Abide, is you can engage with that material and it's set up at a personal level and as a small group level, whatever that intentional community looks like for you, take some time, engage with those resources so that you can take the next step. We also have some more formal learning environments as it comes to connecting and engaging with the transformational work of God's word. Uh, You can see the dates on the screen. February 26 is where we get to do that. It's a four-week workshop. It's not just someone telling you what to do. It's you engaging with God's word and working through some of those healthy habits to be able to do that. You can RSVP and engage with that resource. One that we had this past week was the worship and prayer night. If you participated in that, then you know it's an opportunity to, again, and create a rhythm even in your calendar to say, it's not just a Sunday morning thing. I wanna give him my first and best every single night. And we've got another one that's coming up here in April, okay? Those are, again, just practical on-ramps. Take one at a time, don't do it all. We're trying to meet a person, not do something. But if you look at those and you're thinking, you're like, ah, man, I don't know if I can do any of those. If you're saying that your calendar is too busy to respond to what Jesus has done, then you may not need to take a step forward. You may need to take a step back and just allow him to continue to speak to you that we, our whole lives should be anchored around the finished work of Jesus. And if you're somebody that's like, hey, those all sound good, Ryan. I don't know what that next step is. I'd love to talk to someone. You can do that. I'll be down front. Phil is down front. Dave McClary, one of our elders, is down front. We have a care team. We don't expect us all to be able to figure it all out without having some sort of one-on-one connection and conversation. We're here for that, to help you discern what is that next step. And the key thing is that we take the step. I want to finish this way. Uh, As I've been working through some of this material in the past several weeks, thinking about the metaphor of holding my my child's hand and whether they want to hold it back, uh, during these last couple weeks, I've encountered another situation with my kids with their hands uh, that framed things a whole new way for me. I have a two and a half year old daughter and she came into my presence with her hands behind her back, which means a couple things. She's hiding something. She did something wrong. She broke something. Uh, She probably took something that she didn't want to give back. And it got me thinking, got me thinking, has there ever been a time in my walk with Jesus where I felt that way about God? I can see him moving through the church and through other people and through nonprofits and all of this, but I feel like it's always been something that's for someone else. When it comes to my walk with Jesus and whether or not he wants to abide with me, I end up seeing, I feel like God is standing there with his hands behind his back, holding something back, hiding from me. You ever felt that way? I was thinking about that this past week. And then it hit me, the phrase turned and I thought, 
What if I ask that question to Jesus? Because if Jesus were to show you his hands, if you said, Jesus, show me your hands, and he showed you his hands, what would you see? Well, he's not hiding anything. He's held nothing back. You see pierced hands, and you see the depth of God's desire to want to be with you, to share eternity with you, to love you. And so we have a choice to abide with him, to take his hand. I can't take his hand if I've already got closed fists, if I'm holding on to something else. So I've got to let that go, drop it. And I, by faith, take his hand and we're going to start walking. So the question before us is this, have we said yes to Jesus? Have we chosen to abide with him? If you've never said yes, then that's the place to start. His hands are out for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for not holding anything back, for being faithful just as much or even more or so compared to my unfaithfulness, our unfaithfulness. Thank you, Father, that there has never been anything that could stand in the way of you moving towards us. Father, help us to take your hand today and every day. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus who has made a way for us. So we pray in his name. Amen. When I look at scripture and I see the theme of God moving in our direction, maybe another way to say it, another description of God's character is his faithfulness. His faithfulness. God has been faithful no matter how unfaithful we have been. Maybe in despite of our unfaithfulness, he decided to walk up a hill, pick up a cross for us. And so each week, we set aside, set aside time because we don't want to forget that. We don't want to diminish that. Every time we gather, we anchor our entire existence on the reality of what that means for us. And so we respond with simple things like a some juice and a cracker, which reminds us, simple symbols, but they remind us of Jesus' body. You could think of it broken. It was bleeding. And his blood shed for you and for me. When Jesus walked up that hill, he had you in mind. He had me in mind, and he wanted to share this sort of experience every single time we gather. So what I want to do is to thank him for that experience. I'm going to talk to him about that, and then I'm going to give you a minute or two so that you can talk to him about that and consider God's mighty love for you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus and the faithfulness that we see through his life and death and the power we see through his resurrection. Thank you for being faithful to us. Father, now as we take some time to consider that, we have Jesus in our mind and in our hearts. And so we want to pray in his name. Amen.